0: Again, good morning. As, uh, as you know, if you've been here, we've been going through a series in Acts called Acts of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're going to be in chapter 13. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you want to grab one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, to open up to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be focusing on verses one through three this morning. Um, as, uh, as I've said several times in this series, there's so much here uh, in Acts. I encourage you uh, to read along. You can follow. We have a, a plan for reading through Acts online. You can follow along and encourage you just to continue to do that. We're talking about in our life groups because really we can only touch on a few things uh, when we gather here on Sundays. And so we're going to do that this morning. This morning I want to focus on the first Three verses of chapter thirteen, uh, as we talk about the spirit, and in particular the spirit of mission this morning. Um, in 2013, a small group of people uh, began to gather in homes in West University and River Oaks. Uh, and as they gathered, they studied God's Word, they worshipped, they ate meals together, they uh, grew as a community, and they were seeking the Lord. They were seeking the Lord together and asking. Uh, what he would have them do. And he led them to do something that none of them, I'm pretty sure none of them, ever imagined they would be doing. Uh, He led them to plant a church, this church, Church of the Apostles. Uh, And he led them into this new life as church planters, uh, and they stepped into that in full faith, and followed as the Lord led. And as he led, he's led them through many seasons. He's led us now to this place where we've gone all the way from that uh, Christmas Eve service and uh, the Scout House in West University. Uh, and now we're here in the Heights, on this, in this location, gathered and worshiping every Sunday. And it's just amazing to look over the last four to five years and see what God has done. And what's, uh, what's amazing to me is uh, as we kind of think back over the life of apostles as we think about what God has done. I believe God is asking us to continue what he's always been asking us to do, which is really to believe that he can do what we cannot imagine or expect in our midst. And one of the things I'm convinced he wants to do is that he wants uh, to uh, plant a church out of apostles uh, here in Houston. He wants us to be a community that is planting another church Here in Houston, and I'm convinced of that. I'm convinced for several reasons. One is because uh, I've listened to many of you talk about these early days, the early days of apostles. And as you tell the story of apostles, there's two desires that become very clear. And one of those desires was that your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors would hear the good news of Jesus. Uh, Planting a church... Uh, Because you wanted your friends to hear about God's love for them in Christ and come to faith in him. And then the second thing that is really clear from hearing those those conversations that took place early on in the life of apostles was this incredible heart uh, for the church to be a place over generations where children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren could encounter Christ and grow to know him and follow him. To be a gospel-centered church where generations could hear about Jesus. And so I think for those two reasons, um, the Lord is calling us to plant. Uh, because from the very beginning in the DNA of this church, what's clear is that this church is not just about us. This church has never been just about us. This church has always been about those thousands and thousands of people in our lives who need to know Jesus. This church has always been about the generations to come. What the church will be 50 years, 100 years, 200 years from today here in Houston. And so I think that church planting is God's means of making that dream, that vision a reality. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller says this about church planting. He says, The vigorous, continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy for, one, the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city, and two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. Nothing else, he says. Not outreach programs, not parachurch ministries, not growing megachurches, not congregational consulting, now church renewal movements will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. The church is called to plant, to send. That is the call of the church. And this church started with about 30 people in a home. And the Lord has grown it. Today, to where we're a community of about 100 or 200 adults and children. And what I think is that the Lord is continuing to grow this community as we remain faithful to Him. But you may look at that and you may think, well, man, that, that's great one day. Why are we talking about this now? Isn't that something that's kind of far off? I mean, we're really, are we really big enough to even be having this conversation about planting a church? And what I would say is, yes, it's not going to happen tomorrow. We're not talking about something that's imminent in the next day or month or maybe year. But I do believe it's something that's going to happen within the next two to three years in the life of our church. And that the impacts, uh, that what we do now will impact what happens two to three years from now. And so it's very important for us to talk about this now. One of the ways that I've been thinking about this, and it helps me to think about this, is to think about how uh, a family grows, right? A family uh, of parents and children. So parents have their children. uh, They mature and develop these children. They grow them up. And the day comes when those children then uh, leave the house. They launch out into the world. And at some point, they leave home, and God willing, they start a new family, all the while remaining connected, right, with that family connection back home with the parents. And so I think like parents raising up children, we want to be a community that's raising up leaders within apostles, raising up those who would be launched out into the community to start up new families, whether it be in Maryland or West U or Midtown or Memorial or wherever the Lord might lead us. That we become a family of churches, in other words, spread out across the city, reaching this generation and the next with the gospel. And so if we're going to be a church that plants churches, then we need to be that church now. We need to be that church now. We need to think and act and plan like a sending church today. We need to... Be like this church that we read about in Acts 13, this church in Antioch. And so I want to look at this church together, these first few verses, because I think they tell us so much. Let me just read them again for you, Acts 13, starting with verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, menaean a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the, for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What I want to do is I want to simply highlight what I would say are three marks of ascending church, of a church that plants that we see here in Acts chapter 13. Three things that makes and marks a church that plants other churches. So first... I would say a planting church is marked by authentic diversity. A planting church is marked by authentic diversity. Uh, Think about who's listed here in these first verses of Acts chapter 13. You've got Barnabas, who's from Cyprus. He's a Hellenistic Jew. Most scholars believe Simeon is from North Africa because he's called Niger, which means dark-skinned or black. You've got Lucius from Cyrene, another North African. You've got Manan, a Palestinian Greek, Herodian. And finally, you've got Saul of Tarsus, who grew up in Jerusalem and is Jewish, but a different kind of Jewish than Barnabas. And so in this church, even just within the leadership that's enumerated here in Antioch, what you have is a group of people that would have never imagined themselves together. In fact, it's very likely these men would have disliked each other, even hated each other. They would have felt superior to one another for different reasons, better, more intelligent, that their opinion was more valuable for various reasons than other men on this list. But the gospel changed that. The gospel changed that. As we discussed last week, the gospel smashed through these barriers, these walls that would keep them apart of ethnicity and race and class And that as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, Jesus has destroyed that barrier. He's broken down the wall of hostility. And so there's no longer Jew and Gentile, no longer slave and free, no longer black and white. There is one church. We are all one in Christ. And so why is this such a key marker for a church that plants other churches? Why is this so essential for church planting? I would say it's because planting churches is really about planting gospel communities. And you can't plant other churches, you can't plant ter- other churches with a DNA that you yourself don't have. Right? It's it's if it's not in the DNA of the parents, for example, it won't be in the DNA of the children. The fruit of the gospel is reconciliation. We talked about that again last week and without it, the church is not fully the church. In fact, I'm convinced that without authentic diversity within our community, we won't have the heart that we need to have to really plant churches in Houston. Now, Houston is one of the most diverse cities in America. We are surrounded by diversity of every kind. And if we don't have a heart for our neighbors, then how can we have a heart for our city? If we don't have a heart for our neighbors, how can we have a heart for the nations? It begins here with us. And God is working on us in this area of diversity. I'm encouraged by what God's doing. Uh, in fact, this week I heard a story about one of, uh, someone in our um, Heights Life Group, one of our Heights Life Groups, uh, Fasayo, and I asked him if I could share this. Uh, he was just talking about uh, this idea of racial reconciliation in our church. And what he said was, um, he said that he'd never been a part of a church that was so white. <laughs> and he said he'd also never felt more welcome in a church and I listened to that and I thought wow that is incredible and I also thought how amazing will it be on the day when that first phrase isn't necessary to say anymore that someone would walk in and even if they don't see someone that looks just like them or comes from where they come from they would look and they would see a measure of diversity within our community And they would feel at ease. They would feel at home. They would feel like, yes, this is a place for people like me. We are welcoming. But we're not very diverse. Not yet. So I pray the Lord would continue to do that. Because I think it's a critical part of our ability to plant in Houston. And I'm not saying all churches will look the same. Churches should reflect the communities in which they exist. But diverse churches plant diverse Churches and God can use diverse churches in powerful ways to reach people of every creed and every color all over our city. And so, first, a planning church is marked by authentic diversity. Second, I think here in chapter 13 we see a planning church is marked by transforming grace. A planning church is marked by transforming grace. Each uh, of these names that you read in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, tells a story. From Acts 4, we know the story of Barnabas. From Acts chapter 9, we know the story of Saul. But there's another guy uh, in this room of leaders that really fascinates me, and his name is Menaean. Menaean, we're only told one thing about him, but that one thing makes his presence in the church at Antioch remarkable. He was a lifelong friend, it says, of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod probably sounds familiar to you as a name because if you've been around churches at Christmas, you've heard the name Herod. Herod the Great, Uh, if you remember in the Christmas story, he's the one uh, who, when the wise men did not return, he sent out this edict uh, that all the boys two years and younger should be killed because he saw this as a threat to his power, this prediction that a king had been born in Bethlehem. Herod the Great also, he had his own mother-in-law knocked off. Um, and so I just want to say that is not condoned by the Bible, uh, but it is in there. Um, he had his second wife executed. Um, this is not a good guy. This is Herod the Great, right? But this is Herod Antipas, Herod the Tetrarch. This is his son, and the apple does not fall from, far from the tree. Herod Antipas is a terrible ruler, he marries his stepbrother's wife. He uh, is infatuated with his stepdaughter, who, after doing this alluring dance, convinces him to bring her, the, pl- the head of John the Baptist, on a plate. Just, just just horrible, horrible person. And on the night Jesus is arrested, Herod interrogates uh, Jesus and mocks him, asks him to perform like a magician. Jesus refuses, and he sends him back to Pilate and to eventually to be crucified this is Herod Antipas. This is Menaean's lifelong friend. And you think about this, that Menaean is now in the inner circle of leadership in the church at Antioch. And you have to imagine what happened in Menaean's life that so transformed him, that so changed him, that moved him from being a part of this entourage of this just Terrible, despicable man to being a follower of Jesus. And it's the power of the gospel. Right? It's the power of the gospel to, to change us, to overcome our past. And so I would say this is an encouragement to us. Many of us feel broken. Many of us feel messed up. Many of us may feel like we've made too many mistakes for God to actually ever fully forgive us. But there's no way God could really love me that no one could love me if they really knew all the things I've done. As another pastor said, if that's you, if that's the voice inside your head today, that you're too far gone for God, get over yourself. Get over yourself. You're not even that good at sinning, okay? (laughs) You're not too far gone. You're not beyond God's grace, the gospel says don't fixate on yourself and how terrible you are. The invitation of the gospel is to look at how awesome and amazing Jesus is. To fix our eyes on Christ. Following Jesus is about doing exactly that. Following Jesus. Not stumbling around and trying to make it on our own. It's about experiencing the freedom of God's love and his forgiveness. That says your mistakes, your sin, that is not what defines you. The Mistakes and assaults on us, from others. That is not what defines you. Through faith in Christ, you become his. You are made new. You are reborn into a life lived not for yourself, but for him. And that's Manan's story. And that's the story of many of us. None of us are here because we deserve to be here. We're here because we've experienced this transforming grace of Jesus Christ in our life. I mean, you could walk around this movement and ask people to tell the story of how God has rescued them and redeemed them. Stories of restoration and healing, of deliverance. This is a community that's experienced the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. That knows the power of these words in Psalm 40. That he has lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He has set my feet on a rock and given me a firm place to stand. So your presence here at Apostles shows, it testifies to the power of the gospel to transform lives. And that's why we plant churches. Because we want more people to experience that transforming power of Jesus Christ, of his grace in their life. We want our nation, our world, to know that power. We want them to know there's hope that God can rescue them, that no one is beyond grace so we plant churches because of the transforming power of grace. And then third, a planting church is willing to sacrifice for the kingdom. A planting church is willing to sacrifice for the kingdom. Uh, this group was gathered together, and it tells us that they were worshiping and fasting and praying. And that the Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. First thing I just want to observe is, uh, how do we know uh, how and, and when and where to plant a church? How do we know that? The Holy Spirit. Just like they knew, the Holy Spirit will reveal it. We're going to talk more about this, um, how we hear from the Lord going into the spring. But I just wanted to highlight it here to make sure we didn't miss this, that being an ascending church, what's required, what's essential is that we are dependent on listening to the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit is speaking, that we cannot just figure this out with great strategy. As important as that is, we need the Holy Spirit to lead us, to speak to us. We need to put ourselves, as these men did, in a position where we can hear from the Lord. Because the Spirit will reveal things to us. And the Spirit will reveal things that we might never actually choose to do on our own. The Spirit may call us to send out, in other words, Uh, people that we would never choose to send out, some of our best and brightest for the sake of the kingdom. What we know about Barnabas and Saul is that they spent uh, about two years in Antioch ministering to this community, teaching them, training them, evangelizing them. They were an integral part of the growth and the vitality of this church in Antioch. They were anointed. They were gifted. They were effective leaders in this community. And the Spirit spoke to the leadership. And what did the Spirit say? (laughs) The Spirit said, send them away. These men who have had such a powerful impact in your midst, whose ministry is so essential to the life of the church, I want you to send them out. I want you to send them away. You know that had to hurt. That had to be hard. But when the Holy Spirit said, free up Barnabas, free up Saul, send them out, they didn't panic. They didn't object. What about us? They laid hands on them, and they sent them out. I want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be the kind of church where we love one another deeply, but that we hold each other loosely. A church prepared to say for the sake of God's kingdom, we are sending out our best as the Spirit leads us that we will shed tears and we will rejoice at the thought of those who have blessed us going forth and blessing others. And we've experienced that. We've already begun to do that. A few weeks ago, we sent out the Konefkis. We sent them to Katie, and we prayed over them. We commissioned them. Right now, our own John Henson is in the Houston Church Planning Residency Program because our hope, our prayer, our desire is that, God willing, one day in the near future, we will send out the Hensons to help plant a church in Houston. We are looking to call a worship pastor right now who will raise up and develop worship leaders who will be sent out with these church plants. We want to raise up leaders from within our community, godly leaders, faithful leaders, and not just people on staff, but all across our community. God has gifted each one of us in a unique way for the building up and for the encouragement of his church and for the furthering of his kingdom. And one day he will call some of you to go. One day he will call some of you to go, to leave this place. And he'll call you to set aside things and to sacrifice things for the sake of his kingdom. And it may be across town, it may be across the country, it may be across the globe. The Spirit's call is the same for all of us, though. It requires sacrifice. We must all set aside for the sake of the kingdom at some point. And so when we plant, when we plant, make no mistake, it will be costly. It will be painful. And we will experience loss. And we'll only be willing to take that step if we're absolutely convinced If we're absolutely convinced that the gospel is true and that there are those in our city who desperately need to hear it, it's the only way we'll push through that pain and that loss. So, authentically diverse, transformed by grace, and willing to sacrifice. Those are the marks of a church that plants. God has done amazing things in the short life of apostles. But I'm convinced it doesn't compare to the legacy of the church, a church that is truly committed to planting other churches, to sending out those that the Lord has called. So I want us to dream. I want us to imagine. I want us to consider the possibility of what could happen, what God might do if we're faithful in this call to plant that we might see many come to faith, that we might see generation after generation after generation impacted by this community, by the Holy Spirit at work in us and among us. This is what God is calling us to be, to be a church like Antioch, a church that sends, a church that plants, authentically diverse, transformed by grace, willing to sacrifice, a church prepared to send out and to plant other churches. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we hear your call. And Lord, maybe today is the first time some of us have ever even considered this as a possibility. Or maybe it's something that you've been burdening some of our hearts with for a long time. But Lord, we know that we only exist because this happened for us. You planted this church. And because of that, people have come to faith. People are growing in their faith and generations will be impacted. And Lord, we want to see more and more of that in your city. And so we pray, Lord, that you would give us a vision, you would give us a heart for sending out those who are in our midst, as your spirit calls. Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us faith, to trust that that would happen in your way, in your time, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.